Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. One of the things that we do is we are people who are shaped by God's Word, and so we read the Word of God, and we stand to honor God's Word. And today it comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there, worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. And, Lord, we pray for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, we pray for your clarity. Lord, most of all today, we pray for your presence. May it be with us. May it teach us. May it transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a, a few days be, before Christmas, um, somebody brought a strange gift up to the, the church, and Barbie got it, and she brought it over this other way, and uh, wasn't sure exactly what was in it, but in it was a, a little cutout of a log, and the log said 2020, and with it was a note. It said, congratulations, you have survived a global pandemic, an election year, um, wild winter weather in Mustang, Oklahoma, and all sorts of other things. Um, 
Way to go. Um, and then it says, so do with this log that says 2020, whatever you want with it. You can throw it, you can kick it, you can cut it up, you can burn it. Um, and so uh, my son, Micah, who's 11 years old, was here. And I said, Micah, here, do what you want with this log. And so he, he took it and he took it outside and he threw it and it cracked in half. And, and then he got the great idea that he would burn it on New Year's Eve. And so on New Year's Eve at 11.45 or so, we, we got out a red trash can and we all wrote three things that we hoped would end or die in 2020. Um, and so kids in box one, I'd invite you to write three things that you hoped would end um, in 2020. And so we all wrote three things and, and then we put it there in the fire and um, we got it burning and everything burned except for the log that said 2020 on it. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that fitting, right? Like, we, we, want the, we want the changing of a year to, to represent the end of a book, and that we just got to put the 2020 book over there, and we get to pick up a whole new story in 2021. But that's not the way this works. We, we don't get to pick up a whole new book, but instead we finished a chapter, and we started exactly where the story ended in January, December 31st, 2020, with January 1st, 2021. It may be a new chapter, but the story is there. And I don't know about you, but it, it feels this, a lot the same, right? I mean, there's still political turmoil. We even got weird, wacky weather already in 2021. We're still in the midst of a global pandemic and racial tension, and I'm still weary, and I imagine a lot of you are too. It, it, it doesn't feel the same. There are signs of hope. The vaccine is going, and, and people, uh, um, you know, we continue, I think, to get better treatment um, and the days are now getting longer and longer, slowly but surely. And so while there's hope on the horizon, we still don't know a lot of what 2021 will bring. And so as I was thinking about what do we, what, how do we, what do we begin the year with, how do we start this year, um, the, this, this phrase came to me, which was, now what? Like, now what do we do? We, we want there to be a new beginning, but, but what does it mean and how do we move forward? And, and so as I, as I prayed and reflected, it was really this idea of, of what can we do to thrive no matter what happens, no matter what goes on around us, no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You know, this, this Christian faith that we're living has seen pandemics, it's seen tension, it's seen so many different things. And how do the people of God manage to thrive or to flourish in the midst of those things? And so that's really what I, I wondered. Are there things, no matter what happens around us and even to us, that we could still experience the goodness and the life that God would have. And so as I, as I prayed and reflected, I thought maybe there's three key things that, that we can do. And so one of those uh, that we're going to talk about next week is really Scripture. And, and, and by paying attention to Scripture, what we're doing is that we're going to pay more attention to the story of God than the story of now. Do you remember where you were January 3rd, 2019 or January 3rd, 2015? What happened in those times? Um, you may know if you looked at your Facebook memories, but other than that, I don't think most of us could remember exactly what it was like, right? But, but we're so consumed with the now. But, but being people of the Word and of the story of God and of Scripture and of the Bible, it reminds us of His truth that is steadfast and faithful and more long-lasting than the story of the now, no matter how intense the now might be. And so next week, we're going to look at, at how, do we, how do we become people who so value the story of God? 
And then two weeks from now, on January 17th, we're going to be looking at this idea of prayer. Um, And how do we invest in our most important relationship, which is our relationship with God? All human relationships change, and, and they let us down, but this relationship with God is so essential. And so how do we become people of prayer? But, but I think today I want us to start with, I think, what is just of utmost importance for the Christian faith. And it's this idea of surrender. We just sang about it. I surrender. Um, and surrender is not really a trait of strength in a world that we live in today. Surrendering is not what we say, oh, that is strong. But really for the Christian it is a key aspect of how we live our lives. In fact, for me, I think it's as important that we daily surrender just as if we daily read our Bible and daily pray. And so surrender is about giving our authority to God in whom we can really trust. It's about living and saying, God, my life is yours, and it is something I want your life inside of me. I mean, Jesus taught us this. In Luke 9, 23, we, we hear these words that Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And so sometimes we think, well, I, I gave my life to Christ um, five years ago or 25 years ago or, or, or 10 days ago, and thus then I'm done. I've given my life to Christ. But really, discipleship, following Jesus, is about daily surrendering. And so just as you may daily do a devotion and daily spend time in prayer, part of that time is to daily surrender and say, Lord, your will, your way, your life each and every day. And so we have to begin the practice of regularly surrendering. But what does that look like? We, we can say it and we can sing it, but what does it look like to surrender? Well, I chose this story from the Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Isaac, and, and Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac as an example of surrendering. Now, Abraham is one of the key figures in the Old Testament, and if you are part of our Wednesday night study coming up, you're going to see how he fits and is so essential to the story of the Old Testament. And and he is blessed by God and chosen by God to be a blessing to many nations. And, And in fact, we are still reaping the blessings of Father Abraham, right? And that we are experiencing the goodness and the truth of it and of what he experienced. But we get this strange story here about God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain. And so kids in box two, I want you to draw a picture of Abraham and Isaac climbing a mountain. Now, as I was reading this story, and and maybe as you've heard this before, or maybe as you're just sitting there, anytime you've heard this story, the story sits with you kind of the wrong way. Because I think probably, I hope I speak for all of us in the room and all of us watching online, that we are not in favor of child sacrifice. We don't think that that's a good thing. And in fact, when we read this story, there's a sense that we could really be appalled by God that he would even consider this. Um, that, that he would ask this of Abraham is sick. What kind of God would do that? And, and, and so for us sitting here in 2021, it really sits us sort of funny. But one of the things that we have to do when we become people who are living by the word of God is that we have to understand what it would have been like for the original hearers of this word, what it would have been like for the people who would have been around in Abraham's day, what would their reaction and response would have been. And and one of the things that, that would, for them, it would not have been shocking for a God to ask for a sacrifice of a child. That was normal in sort of that ancient Near East time, that sacrifice would have 
happened and child sacrifice would have happened. That, oh, this is what a God demands, so this is what we do. And so while we read it and we at the very beginning of the story are sort of shocked and appalled, in those days, they wouldn't have been shocked and appalled. It would have been like, oh, well, this is what God does. They would not have been shocked until the end of the story in which God said, wait, hold up. Do not sacrifice your son. That is the moment that they would have been shocked and they would have realized that this is a different God than any of the other gods that are around. That this God is way more merciful than they could have imagined. That this God is not like anyone else. And so what happened in the story is that as it, while Isaac was laying down, the angel told Abraham to stop. He got to the point of being willing to do this for God. And instead, there was a, a ram in the thicket, and they put that down, and they sacrificed as well. And so I invite you kids in box three to draw a picture of Abraham and Isaac sacrificing the ram. Now, one of the things that we, we wonder about is, is, is why would this happen? Like, why would God do this? Like, to, to ask him. And it said that he was testing Abraham. And, and part of what I think God always wants for each of us is, is are there things that we have put uh, higher up than God, that we've made more important than God. Um, now, one of the words that we used to describe that is idolatry. Now, often when we think of idolatry, we think of like the golden calf, an image that people bow down to worship. But, but idolatry is more than that. Um, the, our staff is reading this book together called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And the, one of the definitions of idols in there is it says this, an idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. In the Bible, an idol was almost always a tangible object and often forged by someone. Today, an idol is commonly a heart desire, an impulse, or a compulsion that we think we need in order to be okay. And these can be good things. Tim Keller said, an idol is anything, even a good thing, that becomes an ultimate thing. And so one of the things that happens is that sometimes we, we put our kids and they become our idols or our grandkids. Sometimes it is this impulse, this, this impulse to be liked or this, this impulse to be right or all these other feelings that come up and that our need to be right controls how we live our lives. That this need to, to be seen as successful or this need to be seen as powerful, it, it dominates everything and everything we do is seen through that filter. And that's what we think we need to be okay. That as long as I'm powerful, as long as people think I'm smart, as long as people trust me, then I'm going to be okay. And what God invites all of us to do is to lay those idols down that anything, even a good thing, can become an ultimate thing and thus we worship idolatry. And so it had been easy for Abraham that his son would have been his idol. He had, they had been wanting a child. God had promised him a child and finally had given him this child. And now he's asking him to sacrifice it. It would have been easy for Abraham to say, no, 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 no. But instead, he obeyed God. Instead, he went forward. Now, why would he do this? Why didn't he argue with God? Um, in the book of Hebrews, there's this section in chapter 11 that's kind of what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. And it goes through all these Old Testament characters and it reveals their different aspects of faith. And this is what it says about Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, and this is so important, God had been faithful. He knew that God was faithful. 
He was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom all your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. And so Abraham went up this mountain, not sure exactly what God was going to do, but trusting that God was going to do something. And he thought, maybe if I give my son over, that God would raise him to life again. That if he was sacrificed, God would bring him back. Now, that's not what God did. And sometimes we think we know what God's going to do. But oftentimes God surprises us and he does immeasurably more than we can ask or think. And so what I want us to do is to really look a little bit more at this and to really see and believe like Abraham did. Because Abraham allowed God's faithfulness to be more influential than his feelings. So many of us, we allow our feelings to be more influential than, our, than God's faithfulness. Is that we feel what's going on, and that's very human of us, and that's very normal. And that's why we have to have these stories deep in our bones, so that we can call them forth in these moments of crisis that we have, and that we can trust and rely on his faithfulness. Because one of the things that we have to believe, and one of the things that I believe, is that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Now, Honestly, as, as your pastor and just as a person, it's harder for me to say these words than it would have been a year ago. Uh, a year ago, I could have pointed to all these things and said, look how good God is. But now it's harder to point to things. In fact, there's a lot of things that we can point to and we can see all the sin and the suffering and the pain and the agony that I know people in this room have experienced and I know people watching this have experienced. And it's like, God, I, I want to trust you, but it's hard. I want to trust you, but, but look around at this world and everywhere it seems like I look up, I see brokenness, I see suffering, I see sin, I see heartache. And it's real easy for us to look around and say, God, where are you? And I think that's a normal thing, and I think it's an okay thing to do, but I think we also need to continue to listen to the voice of truth and believe that, God, you can be trusted. And I have some theological reasons for why there's sin and suffering, and I believe in all of those things, and, and that there is this Sin has infected and affected everything, and we're seeing spread, and we're dealing with the consequences of that. And it's easy for us to begin to look outward and to begin to see, like, all this sin and suffering that's around us. And we say, well, God, do something about that. God, do something about that. God, do something about that over there. Uh, but I don't think that's where God calls us to begin. While we want everything out there to be fixed, God wants to start right here. And he wants to start here with each and every one of us. And I think the right question to begin the new year is not why is there so much sin and suffering out there, but why is there so much sin and suffering within me? The place to begin to surrender is not to say God fix that, but God move. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have contributed to the suffering that is in the world and we have all experienced the brokenness because of the world. And until we deal with our own sin and suffering, until we deal with our own brokenness, some self-caused, some received by others, we have a hard time moving forward because God wants our whole life. He wants your pain. He wants your sorrow. He wants your brokenness. He wants your sin. He wants it all. And so as we begin the new year, if you want to thrive, it's not because of your work that's going to be done 
It's going to be because you have surrendered your entire self to God and you realize who you are. You see, I think that sometimes we think we are good people who occasionally do bad things. And because we're good people, we deserve good things. But the gospel is actually very different. The gospel tells us that we are bad people, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, who have been raised to life because of Jesus Christ. And we receive what we don't earn. That's grace, undeserved favor. And so instead of thinking I'm entitled to something, I think, oh Lord, how good you are to me. And whenever we encounter the true presence and the goodness of God, it should cause us to fall on our knees in worship. In Isaiah, um, the, the prophet, he, he walks, he, he finds himself caught up in the presence of God. And this is what he says. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And this is the appropriate response to encountering God, is that we are lost people, and I am a man of unclean lips, and that's who all of us are. And that we deal with that, the fact that we are broken people who are in need of God, and that we need to give our kingship over, our rule and our authority over to somebody else. Now, kingship is not something that we deal with really in America. We don't have a king or a queen. And so let me just help us to understand this idea of, of what is our kingdom. Now, I heard a pastor one time say that a kingdom is measured by the range of one's will. All right? So, um, so let's think of it in this way. So I am in control of my body. So I raise my hands, right? Like nobody else made me do that. All right? That is what I chose to do. I have that range of will. Sometimes my kingdom can extend even further um, than that. Sometimes I can get things done through other people. For example, um, and I know my, my boys are watching, so it's like you guys can have electronics if you make sure all the dishes are done, right? And then all the dishes magically get done. My will is done through another person, all right? If, if the electronic piece isn't there, the dishes don't typically get done, right? That's the way it, it works for all of us, right? Now, so we all have a kingdom. We all have influence by a range of one's will to get our will done. Now, here's the thing, is that you and I are terrible kings, all right? Because we do things um, through the kingdom of me that, that, that play to our favor. I wanted to, to teach our boys, again, I've got two boys, Micah and Case, and they're 11 and 8. Um, I wanted to teach them about how power can corrupt us um, and, and how, how, power, how easy it is for when you're in power to take advantage of other people. So one of the things we like to do as a family is play Foursquare, all right? Now, I'm assuming most of you know what Foursquare is, but if you don't, there are four squares, and everybody has one, and you, you hit a ball, it bounces in somebody else's square, and then they hit it to another square. If they don't get it in a square, it bounces twice, whatever the case may be, they're out. Now, the person who starts the game is the king. And so I told my boys, I said, hey, boys, how about we play where the king gets to make the rules? And they said, that sounds like a great idea. I said, okay, well, this worked out really well because I was king first. Um, and so I, I got the ball, and I, I hit it to the side, way off over there. I mean, they're playing in front of me. I hit it way off to the side, and I say, Micah, you're out. He said, well, that's not fair. I said, I'm the king. I get to do what I want. His brother really thought that was funny. Kaysen loved that. So Kaysen got to move up, right? And so then I hit the ball, and I hit it over my shoulder, and I say, Kaysen, you're out. They said, well, that's not fair. I said, well, that's well, if I'm the king, and I get to do what I want, right? See, this is the danger of power is the king takes power. And so we all want to be the king of me. And, 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 and with the kingdom of me, there are some things that, that happen because of this that, that, that mess up our world and our reality. 
Now, the first thing is, is that the kingdom of me imagines that I have greater authority than I actually do. Now, there are some of you in this room, some of you that are watching this online, all right, that are control freaks. And what you do, and what I do sometimes, is I think, okay, I know what the next 10 dominoes are going to be. And so I'm going to lay all these sort of things out, and then I'm going to hit the first domino, and then this person's going to do that, and then that person's going to do this, and then this person's going to do that, and then this is going to happen, right? That some of us, we lay out all this because we imagine that we have greater authority than we do. And we think, okay, as long as all these things happen, then the world is going to be a good place. And so what inevitably happens is I hit the first domino over, and whoever the next person is doesn't do their job. They don't do what I expected them or wanted them to do, and it messes up the whole plan, right? Why? Because I'm the kingdom of me. I've arranged things, and I imagine that I have greater authority than I do. Now, we know that this is true because of superstitions, all right? I love this quote from Michael Scott, all right? I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, all right? Now, the reason that we do superstitions is because we imagine that we have greater influence than we do, all right? So there are some of you, all right, who you're going to go watch a football game today, and you're going to wear a certain shirt, or you're going to have a certain hat on, all right, or you're going to sit in a certain place on the couch when your team scores a touchdown, because you believe that if you do that, your team is going to win. Here's the deal, especially if you're a Cowboys fan, they're probably going to lose anyways, all right? Like, we think we have this influence, but we don't. We do all these things because we want to have more influence than we do, but our actual kingdom is really pretty small. But we want it to be large because we want to be powerful. We want to be leading. Now, another aspect about the kingdom of me is that it looks primarily to my best interest. Now, now sometimes we do things that are good for other people, but also they're good for us, right? Like, we might do some things that look good, but really, ultimately, they, they come back around us, that, that the kingdom of me revolves around me continuing power and continuing comfort and continuing strength. And so we do things for our own best interest. This is part of being human, is we have our own self-interest in the midst of it. All right? And the other thing about the kingdom of me is that it judges myself differently than I judge other people. Well, I heard somebody say that we judge others by their actions, we judge ourselves by our intentions. And so we're really gracious to ourselves. We're like, Aaron, you didn't mean for them to react that way, so it's okay. Aaron, you didn't mean to do that, so it's okay. You didn't intend for that to happen, but if somebody else, if they do something, you're like, how dare them? I can't believe they would do that. And we, we judge other people and we don't give them, we don't understand their stories or the environments that they're in. We just judge them by the moment that we see. And we say, I can't imagine ever doing that. And the reason why we can't imagine ever doing that is because we never lived their life. We don't understand their world. And so we judge other people differently. Because in my kingdom, I have to be right and I have to be in control. And what happens is, is that all these little kingdoms of me that exist, they constantly conflict. They constantly conflict because we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want other people to step on us. We have our best interest, and this person has their best interest, and they collide, and this brokenness happens, and the sin and the suffering continues. And so the only way that that stops is if we live in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. It, it, it's what God does in the midst of the world. Now, here's the crazy thing. God, who is the most powerful being, 
who is all-powerful, who has the ability that if God wanted to, I believe that he could make everybody in this room stand up and do the Carlton dance, and we would all do it, and we would have no choice but to do it. We could not stop ourselves. And as much fun as that might be, God does not do that. Instead, he gives us freedom, and he says, would you let me, would you choose to surrender your own freedom of will and let me live through you? And so do we give God the chance to be God on his terms or on our terms? You see, because the kingdom of God is a very different kingdom. Because the kingdom of God, it relies on given authority. It doesn't force itself. It doesn't say, thou shalt do this and thou wilt do this. It says, it's your choice. Will you let me be God? Or are you going to choose to be God? The kingdom of God looks primarily to the interest of others. This is how a society actually functions at its best whenever we really have the best interest of others at, at heart. Because the way it works out best in the world is, is not I do what's best for me and you do what's best for you, but, but in so much as I do what's best for you and you all do what's best for me and together we live in harmony. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. There's not these self-motivating interests, but instead there are these other interests. This is the mind of Christ to look to the interest of others. And instead of judging everybody differently, the kingdom of God is gracious beyond belief. It's more merciful than we can imagine. It's more good. God is so kind and patient. I mean, you know, there are some of us, I think God, you know, God should have just said, you know, like, golly, you guys are just crazy. Get out of here. I can't take anymore, but that's not who God is. He's with us, and he's walking with us, and he said, oh, you're so close. Just a little bit more. Oh, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's walk together. And so as, as, we, as we wonder about what do we do, I, I think one of the things I think I need to do is answer this question is how do we surrender? How do we surrender to the kingdom of God instead of living in the kingdom of me? And I think this text, there's a few things that it teaches us. The first is that it, it calls us to make ourselves available to God. It's that the first thing we have to do is we have to show up and say, God, I'm here I mean, that's what we see in the story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Is that he was present with God. He was available to God. Is it's hard to surrender to somebody you don't acknowledge. It's hard to surrender to somebody you don't listen to. It's hard to surrender to somebody that you're not around. So we have to make ourselves available. And then we have to immediately obey God. If God prompts us, if God calls us, if God asks us, if God tells us, we need to do it immediately. And so when God told him to take his son, his only son Isaac, and go and offer him there as a burnt offering, do you hear what it said in verse 3? So Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't wait a week. He didn't think about it. God, let me get back to you on that if that's a good idea. He rose early the next morning and went. And so often, God may be prompting us to do something. We're like, God, I'm going to do that. Maybe next week. I'm kind of busy this week with my own stuff, so let me get to your stuff next week, right? Now, a few years ago, my, my parents host a thing called Tiger Training Camp, and they take the, the four grandkids, and, and they, um, they have a lot of fun, but then they also learn some stuff. And so a few years ago, um, we, they learned about obedience. And I say they, but I mean we, too. And they taught them how to obey. And there's three simple ways to obey. You obey all the way. You obey right away, and you obey in a happy way. 
Now, sometimes this works for us, all right? But, but we're not very good about that as adults, right? Because, again, sometimes we want to say, okay, God, I'm going to obey on my schedule, all right? Um, I'm going to obey as much as I want to, not quite all the way, some of the way. And then I'm certainly not going to be happy about it. But this is what we are called to do. It's if God asks us to do something because God is good, we can trust that he is good to us. And that what he's asking us to do is a good thing. Obedience to God is never a bad thing because God is good. And then as we walk, we have to walk in this complete trust in God. I mean, Abraham said when his, when his son asked, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And at the end of our scripture, it said, the Lord will provide is going to be the name of that place. And so we have to trust that as we follow God, as we're obedient to God, as we surrender ourselves to God, that we have to surrender all. We have to give all and we have to give our complete trust to God. And lastly, I think we have to communicate constantly with God. Because there are sometimes whenever we, we get the, we, we're obedient to God and we say, God says, head in this direction and we head in this direction. But imagine what would have happened in our story, how different our story would be if Abraham was so committed to sacrificing Isaac that God himself couldn't stop him. And so he's up there and he's ready to do it. And, and the angel is saying, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham's like, I'm not paying attention to you because God told me that I had to sacrifice my son. And I think sometimes we can be so committed to this idea of this call or this idea of what God has told us to do that we don't listen to the journey that God is on us with. And sometimes he tells us to go down one road so that we go down another one. And he invites us to do that. We have to daily surrender. We have to communicate constantly. We have to give ourselves fully to him. And we, we have to do this. Now, I think for a lot of us, because we, we like to be in control, we like to do things ourselves, we're, we don't really have our surrender muscles built up with. And maybe there's some of us who, who we, have to, we have to begin to trust God with the small things so we can trust him with the big things. And, and, and so maybe today some of you are thinking, I know what I need to give to God, but I can't do that yet. That's okay. Maybe can you give something smaller and just build up those muscles? Can we trust him with something small so that we can begin to trust him with something more? And so kids in box four, I invite you to draw or write something that you want to trust God with. Because really, if we want to change the world, if we want to change our world, it doesn't begin with fixing out there. It begins with fixing right here. And that is all about absolute surrender. I came across a book written by a guy by the name of Andrew Murray. Um, I read a book by him called Humility that was really good. Um, and then he has this book called Absolute Surrender. I got to skim it as I was preparing for this sermon, but this is what he says. He said, absolute surrender. Let me tell you where I got those words. I use them myself often, and you have heard them number, numerous times. But in Scotland, once I was in a company where we were talking about the condition of Christ's church and what the great need of the church and of believers is. And there was in our company a godly worker who has to do, who has much to do in training workers. And I asked him what he would say is the greatest need of the church and the message that ought to be preached. He answered very quietly and simply and determinedly, absolute surrender to God is the one thing. What is the most important thing you can do to thrive in 2021? And that is that you don't have to do it. 
You have to surrender it. You have to give yourself fully to God. I mean, this is what Jesus did when he committed the greatest moment in history. So he got on his knees in the garden and he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered his entire life and self and he died so that we may live and thrive in this world and in the next. And so I'm going to invite us to a time of prayer and then we're going to have communion together. And so let us just enter into this time. And I'm going to invite you, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, to, to hold out your hands. And, and as we hold out our hands, I'm going to just say, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to feel or to see or to know something that is an idol in our life, something that is so important, that we feel is essential for us to be okay. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an attitude. I have to be right. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something that's consuming our time and our emotions. And uh, we feel that in our hands, don't we? So, Lord, we're going to practice surrender today. Lord, I, I, I even feel it right now just being heavy. Goodness. Why is it so heavy, Lord? How long have I been carrying this weight around and not even realized how much it was weighing me down? And so, Lord, as the, as the people of God, I, I just, we want to give this to you. And so, Lord, we, we give this to you now. We, we, we surrender. We, we release it to you. We lay it at your feet. We want to feel the release of the burden. We give it to you, Lord. We don't want to hold it anymore. Lord, we surrender. We surrender all. Now, Lord, we know that there's going to be some of us that are going to be tempted that as we leave this room or we go on to the next thing that we pick it up and hope nobody notices that we picked it back up. Or, or maybe tomorrow we're going to say, Lord, oh, you didn't fix it in the 24 hours I gave you, so I'm going to take it back and try to control it again. But Lord, may we practice surrender day after day. Lord, whatever it is that we gave to you, whatever was in our hands and we released to you, Lord, would you, would you take it? And would you do something marvelous? Because you are the God who takes broken things and makes them beautiful. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give our lives to you so that we can move forward in this beautiful kingdom of yours. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, may our life be daily surrendered and daily given to you. And may we remember your goodness and your faithfulness. And may your story be louder than the story of now. And may we learn to trust in you that you are more than enough for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we do come to the time in the service in which we have communion. So I'm going to invite you to take communion. If anybody needs it in the room, then we um, just give Karen a little wave and she'll come over to you.
If you're watching online, get the closest thing you can to communion. We will always have communion um, in, at the church in case you want to come swing by and pick some up. But we remember on the night in which Jesus prayed that prayer, not my will but yours be done. He gathered with his disciples and he knew that we would need a reminder and we would need a tangible expression of his presence. And so he took something that was at every meal, bread and wine. And, and he said, this is my body. And he took the bread and he broke it because we who are broken experience. He became broken so that we might become whole. So I invite you to take the bread and to eat it and to remember God's goodness and faithfulness towards us. And that through his brokenness, we may experience the wholeness of Christ. And when he surrendered himself, he surrendered his blood as well. That night he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink this, remember me. Take in my love. Take in my forgiveness. Surrender begins with repentance. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And sometimes even our own brokenness, our own sinfulness can be our idol. So we invite you to take this and to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.